Welcome to our Reformation Sunday service. If you are watching the video, I don't know if you can see, I'm wearing my Martin Luther t-shirt. I'm just backing up a little so you can kind of see it a little bit. I don't have any liturgical garb at home. Some of you know I have a cold. Pretty sure it's a cold. But there is no way they can tell COVID from a cold without a test. So Saskatchewan Health has advised me that I should get a negative test before we have another service. Oh, another live service. So I can't get a test till tomorrow, but I will go tomorrow as early as I can, get the test, and I'll let you know when I get the results. I'm I'm pretty sure I'll be seeing you next Sunday. But in the meantime, let's look after yourselves. Take care. Our, our opening hymn is, of course, a mighty fortress. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. A mighty fortress. Spirit. Amen.
Let's say the prayer of the day together. Almighty God, gracious Lord, we thank you that your Holy Spirit renews the church in every age. Pour out your Holy Spirit on your faithful people. Keep them steadfast in your word. Protect and comfort them in times of trial. Defend them against all enemies of the gospel and bestow on the church your saving peace through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. A reading from the prophet Jeremiah, chapter 31, verses 31 to 34. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant that I made with your ancestors when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, a covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No longer shall they teach one another or say to each other, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. Our psalm is Psalm 46. I'm sure you know that a mighty fortress was based on this psalm. And the responsive verse is, The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear though the earth be moved, and though the mountains shake in the depths of the sea, though its waters rage and foam, and though the mountains tremble with its tumult, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of the city. It shall not be shaken. God shall help it at the break of day. The nations rage and the kingdoms shake. God speaks and the earth melts away. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Come now, regard the works of the Lord, what desolations God has brought upon the earth. Behold the one who makes war to cease in all the world, who breaks the bow and shatters the spear and burns the shields with fire. Be still then and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Our second reading is from Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 3, verses 19 to 28. Now, we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For no human being will be justified in his sight by deeds prescribed by the law. 
For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. But now, apart from law, the righteousness of God has been disclosed and is attested by the law and the prophets. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, since all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They are now justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a sacrifice of atonement by his blood, effective through faith. He did this to show his righteousness, because in his divine forbearance he had passed over the sins previously committed. It was to prove at the present time that he himself is righteous and that he justifies the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of boasting? It is excluded. By what law? By that of works? No, by the law of faith. For we hold that a person is justified by faith apart from works prescribed by the law. the Holy Gospel according to John. Then Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. They answered him, We, we are descendants of Abraham and have never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean by saying you will be made free? Jesus answered them, Very truly, I tell you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not have a permanent place in the household. The son has a place there forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. The Gospel of the Lord. In 1520, Martin Luther published a tract or a pamphlet or a little booklet and it was called On the Freedom of the Christian. And in that work he states what looks like a paradox. Luther, you may know, Luther was fond of paradoxes. He seemed to think that sometimes that was the best way of getting at something that was too deep for our ordinary, easy ways of talking and thinking. It's something that was kind of beyond our understanding. And I think it was right. Anyway, here's a paradox. A Christian is a perfectly free Lord of all, subject to none. A Christian is a perfectly dutiful servant of all, subject to all. This is a big topic. But one way to understand this, or a little bit of it, is to look at what Luther said about how someone who has been freed by Christ, someone who is free indeed, acts in a time of plague. We've all heard about the Black Death. It was that terrible, deadly plague that swept across Europe, and not just Europe, in the 1300s. Uh, that was the worst of it, but it didn't stop in the 1300s. It didn't start in the 1300s either, but, but that was the worst. But even after the 1300s, it, there were waves of it until sometime in the 1700s. And some 
We don't know for sure. There are disputes, but some say that 45, 50%, maybe even 60% of the population of Europe died of the plague. And the mortality rate, depending on where and when, ranged from 30 to 90% or even higher of the people who got sick. And nobody knew what caused it. There was no effective way of treating it. It's not that people didn't have theories. It's not that they didn't try. They just didn't know. They didn't have enough information. They didn't know what the cause was or what to do. And everything was made so much worse by the widespread poverty the awful living conditions, the malnutrition of so much of the population. There was really, there was only one thing to do. Don't get it in the first place. And only one really reliable way to do that, run, get out of town, flee. And that was not an option for many people. And especially for the poor, it was not an option usually. Well, in 1527, the plague arrived in Wittenberg, where Luther was living with his family, teaching at the university and being a pastor. This was 10 years after he put his 95 theses up on the church door. That's the event we're commemorating today. Excuse me, there's a dog behind me. You, you may have heard some people say he didn't do that. He didn't put the 95 Theses up on the church door. Maybe he didn't. I don't know. But he wrote 95 Theses and he presented them somehow. And it would have made sense if he'd put them up on the church door. People, that, that's what people did. Anyway, that was 10 years. This was 10 years after the 95 Theses that the plague arrived. And earlier in the same year, 19... 1527, Luther had gone through some kind of personal crisis that affected him physically, emotionally, spiritually. And I'm saying this because I think it's important. It's certainly important to me to know that Luther knew what it was like to struggle. And he spoke from experience, real, authentic human experience. And he didn't deny that he struggled. When the plague got to Wittenberg, the local bigwig, the local ruler, Duke John, he was called, he had the whole university move to another town about 400 kilometers away as the crow flies. But of course, they didn't fly. But Luther didn't go. Luther stayed in Wittenberg. He stayed because most people could not go. He stayed because people needed pastors. The sick needed people to look after them. He stayed even though he knew it was a risk and a big risk. He stayed because especially the poor could not go. And his house became a kind of hospital. They took in sick people, tried to look after them. And 
And the story is that he, he held the wife of the mayor as she died. He saw a death and it was a terrible death up close many times. His wife, Catherine, she was pregnant at the time and his little daughter, Elizabeth, who was born during this time, she died. She lived less than eight months and she died. And very likely her death had something to do with the fact that her mother, when she was pregnant with Elizabeth, had been exposed to the plague. The wife of one of Luther's assistants gave birth to a stillborn child and then she died of the plague. It seems that Luther's son John maybe had the plague but got through it. He survived, some people did. And John, little John, was probably well nourished, well fed, well cared for, and that made a difference. But it must have been awful, painful, frightening for his parents to go through this. And it was during, it was during this terrible time of plague that Luther wrote A Mighty Fortress. You know why I'm talking about this. It's because we too are in the midst of a plague. It's not nearly as bad, granted, especially where we are. We have all kinds of medical and scientific knowledge and resources. We live in clean, warm houses. We have enough to eat. This disease is not as deadly or as frightening. But still, there are, there are parallels. You know, there are some intense arguments going on in our time about what it means to be free in a time of plague. And aside from all that, it's just interesting. And sometimes we just need a break and we just need to think about something that's just interesting. But there, there are parallels, and is, certainly this is meaningful for us. Another thing that happened while all this was going on was a pastor in another town sent Luther a letter asking, can a Christian leave when the plague arrives? And largely in response to this question, Luther wrote a pamphlet called Whether One Should Flee from a Deadly Plague. That might not sound like the title of a bestseller, but you can imagine this was a big question for people if they were able to flee, if this was an option for them. How, and if they wanted to be Christians, to live as Christians, how does one, someone who has been set free by the sun, someone who is free indeed, behave in circumstances like these? How do I follow Jesus in the midst of a plague, a deadly plague? And here's what Luther said, or at least these are some of the high points. He said, you'll notice in the Old Testament that Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, David, and Elijah, all of them fled to save their lives. But there's nothing wrong with that. It's a good thing to flee from death and to save your life. That's a natural tendency implanted in us by God. And 
there is nothing wrong with it unless it goes against God and our neighbor. There's nothing wrong with it. It's, it's good even, as long as we're not leaving our neighbors uncared for. Luther says we are, we are bound to each other in such a way that no one may forsake the other in his distress, but is obliged in freedom to assist and help him as he himself would like to be helped. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And whatever you do to the least of these, Jesus said, you do to me. But neither, Luther says, neither should we be stupid. Luther describes people who are just much too rash and rec reckless, tempting God, disregarding everything that might counteract death and the plague. Just they disdain the use of medicines. They don't bother to avoid places or persons infected by the plague, but they just, you know, they make jokes about it. They want to prove how independent they are, how strong and independent they are. And they say, God doesn't need our medicines. God doesn't need us to be careful. Luther said, that's not trusting God. That's tempting God. God created medicines and provided us with intelligence to guard and to take care of our bodies so that we can live in good health. Says so you might as well refuse to live a, leave a burning house, you know, just sit there while the house burns down around you and you, you burn to death. Or, or refuse to try to save yourself from drowning, just go down. He said, there's nothing brave or spiritual in risking your life or the lives of others needlessly. That's tempting God. He says, you're flirting with suicide. It's shameful. He says, for a person to pay no heed to his own body and to fail to protect it against the plague, the best he's able, and then, then to infect others who might have remained alive if he'd taken care of his body in the first place. Luther says he's responsible before God for his neighbor's death. He's a murderer many times over. He says, people like that, they... They behave as though there's a house burning down in the city and nobody bothers trying to put the fire out. If the people in the city, he carries on this metaphor, and if the people in the city were to show themselves bold in their faith when a neighbor's need so demands, and cautious when no such emergency exists, if everyone would help ward off the contagion as best he could, then the death toll would be moderate. But if some are too panicky and desert their neighbors in their plight, if some are so foolish as not to take precautions but just make everything worse, aggravate the con contagion, then the devil has a heyday and many will die. And that, I think, Luther would have said, is the devil's freedom. So what does it all come down to? What does the true freedom of the Christian the freedom we find in following Jesus and continuing in his word mean in circumstances like this. I mean, it's not being slaves to evil. 
means being free of evil. It means loving God and our neighbors as ourselves. It means loving as we are loved. It means sharing God's love. Just as our neighbor is in need and lacks that in which we abound, Luther says in his Freedom of the Christian, so we were in need before God and lacked his mercy. Hence, as our Heavenly Father has in Christ freely come to our aid, we also ought freely to help our neighbor through our body and its works, and each one should become, as it were, a Christ to the other, that we may be Christ's to one another, and Christ may be the same in all, that is, that we may be truly Christians. And that, that is true freedom. That is the freedom Jesus gives us. That is freedom indeed. Amen. Let's confess our faith. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. of Jesus called to love and serve the world God loves. Let us pray for the church, those in need, and all creation. Each petition will end with the words, Lord, in your mercy, and the response is, hear our prayer. Let us pray. 
God of the new covenant, in the waters of baptism, you claim us as your own. Help us to open ourselves to your love and grace. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. God of justice, bring your justice and peace to the world you love. Free us from sin and fear and break down the walls that separate us from you and from each other. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. God of grace, help us to be a community of forgiveness and reconciliation and a witness to the truth that sets us free. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. O Holy One, our refuge and strength be very present to all who suffer in any way, in body, mind, or spirit. We pray particularly for those we name before you and for those who have no one to pray for them. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Eternal word of life, we thank you for Martin Luther and for prophets and reformers in, in every age. Keep us steadfast in your word until we are all together in your kingdom. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Hear our prayers, faithful God, and renew us by your spirit, that we may joyfully love and serve you and one another. Through Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Gathered into one by the Holy Spirit, let's say the prayer that Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. This is a responsive benediction. It was written for the joint Lutheran Catholic commemoration of the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. So each, there are three parts, actually there's four, but after the first three, we all say, thanks be to God for all that God can do within us, for all that God can do without us. Thanks be to God for all in whom Christ lived before us, for all in whom Christ lives beside us. Thanks be to God for all the Spirit wants to bring us, for where the Spirit wants to send us. Thanks be to God. The blessing of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be with you and on your way together. Amen. Go in peace. Serve the Lord.